please be aware that this is a recording of a writing festival. As such, there are some adult concepts, probably a bit of swearing, and sometimes there might even be some triggering elements. So do be aware of that. If anything does make you feel uncomfortable, please stop listening at any point. Also, we do recommend you pop on some headphones. That way, the only person who can get offended is you. Welcome back to the Rights for Festivals podcast, where we're getting all lit up with the Wollongong Writers Festival. If you'd like to know more about Wollongong Writers Festival, go to www.wollongongwritersfestival.com or you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook. This session is Literature, Creativity and the Manus Prison Theory with Beirouz Buchan. Before we get stuck into talking with Beirouz, I think I'll uh, begin with an acknowledgement of country. Uh, I'd like to pay my respects to the Wadiwadi people of the Darawal Nation for they hold the stories, traditions, culture, and hopes of Aboriginal Australia. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. We meet today to share our stories, and in doing so, I honour Aboriginal leaders of the past, present, and future, and extend acknowledgement and respect to all First Nations people uh, present. Welcome, everyone, and thank you all for coming. Um, this is going to be a very exciting talk. I'm, I'm really um, excited to meet both Omid and Beirut via Skype. Uh, as I'm sure you guys all are too. And I think we were talking, I mean, that this could be Beirut's first public appearance since he um, uh, escaped from Papua New Guinea. So wait, wait, hold, 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 wait, wait for when Beirut gets there, yeah? When we get Beirut, I'm going to get you all to give him a big cheer, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, so for now, uh, my name's Mark Isaacs. I, I'm an author, uh, a writer, a researcher, and a community worker. And I've been working with people seeking asylum for the past seven years. Ever since I uh, essentially was working in Nauru and then wrote a book about that called The Undesirables. It's a self- shameless self-plug. Uh, there he is. Welcome, Beirut. Perfect timing. I was just about... <laughs> uh, before I introduce the man of the hour, I'd also think I should introduce the man on my further to the right of me, uh, Omid Tafigian. Uh, he's an assistant professor of English and comparative literature uh, at the American University in Cairo and a lecturer in the School of Arts and Media at UNSW. Uh, and he is the translator of Beirut's book. I'd like to call it their book. I don't know if that's appropriate, but... You guys worked on it together, so... <laughs> it's it's, it's Behruz's book, and I'm <laughs> honoured to be a collaborator on it. <laughs> Wonderful. And then, uh, this is a man that does not need introduction, Behruz. Um, I don't need to read your bio, because I'm pretty sure everyone here knows where you've been and what, and what you're about, but I, I will just say that I first met Behruz in um, uh, Manus Island Prison, and it was in November 2017. I don't know if you remember this, but the, it was at a time when the Australian government had closed the detention centre. And they were trying to forcibly move the men into these open centres, exploiting this legal loophole after the PNG Supreme Court ruled that the arbitrary, arbitrary detention of refugees um, was against the PNG constitution. Uh, and so the men refused to leave. And ironically, I had to be smuggled into the prison by boat to, uh, <laughs> to, to speak to the men. And Berus was one of the first people I met. Uh, and he, I met him at midnight by the light of a, uh, of a phone and he was shirtless and skinny, uh, and he appeared shy and polite, uh, and he was attached to his phone, furiously typing a story for The Guardian. Uh, and at the time, <laughs> it was amazing to think that he could produce such a powerful article, uh, or such powerful articles for, the, for international news outlets uh, on that really small device. I was, it was, I was quite taken by it, uh, and especially in those conditions. Uh, but then to imagine that he wrote a book, let alone one as amazing as... No friend but the mountains, and I'm not just trying to, uh, you know, post. Oh, sorry, uh, say too many accolades in front of Beirut just because he's here. But it is truly a wonderful book. Um, and he, on top of that, he also produced the film Chalka, Please Tell Us the Time while in detention. Uh, so he's won multiple awards for No Friend But the Mountains, um, including the Victorian Prize for Literature. And if you haven't read the book, just leave now, go buy it, read it, and then come back because it's it's worth it. Um, 
And just amazingly, that despite having never set foot in the country of Australia, Berrius has managed to establish himself as one of our greatest contemporary writers um, and philosophers, and his damning and philosophical and poetic account of Manus is going to be an Australian classic if it isn't already, um, and will be studied by students all over the world for years to come. So, without further ado, um, let's get stuck into the conversation. Beirut, uh, I mean, the question on everyone's lips is, how did you make it out? Can you, can you talk to us about the escape from Papua New Guinea? I mean, from the first day that I arrived in uh, Christmas Island, and before that on the ocean, and uh, that time that I have started to work, you know, I smuggled the phone in, and I started to, you know, establish a network and, you know, communicate with the world, with the journalists. I was thinking about this, you know, and this uh, last journey is only a part of that, which was so stressful and so hard. But it was like, uh, actually, like a game for me. It was quite funny for me, you know, this journey that I had from Port Mosby to uh, Christchurch, compared to the long time, you know, uh, struggling in Manus Island, because when I arrived in Christchurch, you know, uh, I, I someone asked me, uh, how is your feeling? And I said, you know, I'm happy that I survived because I knew and I know that how was dangerous, you know, working in Manus. Anytime I could die because of, you know, sickness, because of uh, this kind of thing and because of the authorities, you know. We, I was there and, you know, we were facing a fascist system, you know, and it was easy for them just to pay to a, a local person. They said, just beat this man, you know, beat him from back, you know, <laughs> back of head. Who, who, who could uh, take responsibility, you know? They said he died and, you know, definitely he would say something uh, that uh, he did this, you know, he... They killed him because he had relationship with the woman in that island. You know, they already said this kind of thing to many people. You know, did they say this to, uh, you know, Reza Barati that he was killed inside the prison camp? The prime minister, uh, who is his name, Scott Morrison, he says that. You know, you know, in, on that time he was the immigration minister. He said that. Uh, Reza Barati wanted to have relationship with the woman there and they, the local became angry and killed him, you know. So that's why it was so hard, you know. Always I, uh, you know, I was worried about my safety and in other side, you know, I was worried, concerned about my health. And that's why, you know, I'm really happy that I survived, you know. It is the big achievement for me that I survived. Second, we can talk about this challenge and, you know, the impact uh, of my works and what I have done and what we did. And, you know, but the first thing is, uh, you know, how I survived. And I'm really happy about that. Another thing I'm happy about it is that I always work as an independent person and I didn't let, uh, you know, others like politicians and, you know, uh, it's better I don't talk about, but uh, to take control of me and tell me how should I work. And, you know, I always was uh, independent. And also I didn't make a big mistake in my work to damage others, you know. And that's why I am happy. So now I'm here. Was, was that a danger for you and Ahmed that you uh, might put other people in danger through your writing? That sometimes you write something because most of my work, you know, I, I was reporting and so some stories were very sensitive and that's why, you know, I could make a mistake, you know, to damage the whole, you know, the all of the refugees and, you know, give uh, this excuse to the government, someone like Peter Dutton, to use it in the media and 
you know, attack us and, you know, I lose my reputation, my credit and, you know, they use it against the refugees, you know. So that's why I think it was so difficult, so, so difficult to work in that circumstances, you know, work in that circumstances. And uh, that's why I say, yeah. So I can give you some example, but, you know, just generally it was so, so sensitive, yeah. Sometimes you could say something to interview and, you know, they use it against you, you know. That's why I say. Uh, there are trolls hounding Behus constantly. There are right-wing uh, politicians, shock jocks, journalists, waiting for Behus to make a mistake, waiting for him to say something that they can misinterpret and, and manipulate and, and use against him. So uh, this, I think, is what he's talking about, the fact that he was careful he was strategic, he was thoughtful, and he was always aware of, he was always respectful in terms of the people he was representing and trying to be as uh, uh, as astute as possible, trying to be as, as profound as possible, and always understanding that he was challenging the system. It wasn't about any particular individuals. This is a, a whole system that he was, uh, he was um, confronting. And we've talked about it previously, Beirut, but uh, you also worried about being targeted for your work by the local PNG uh, authorities and Australian authorities. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the dangers such as when you were put in prison? And um... It was possible that any time they target me because, uh, you know, the Australian government and authorities, uh, they told the local authorities that this man is playing with your reputation. And I didn't play with their reputation, you know. In all of my words, you can see that, you know, always I defend the local people. And still I think about them uh, in the book, uh, particularly in the movie, you know, actually I introduced them uh, and, uh, you know, I defend them. And I say that they are victim under, because I am an indigenous person, you know, with indigenous background. Of course, I understand them. Of course, I understand the colonialization, you know. So that's why, but unfortunately, you know, the authorities uh, made the manus quite unsafe for me with the local people. They could tell them, oh, this man is playing with your reputation. And when they arrested me during the siege uh, on November 2017, you know, they handcuffed me. And the commander, the police commander, you know, pulled my hair and, you know, the, he took my uh, sunglasses and broke it and say, you played with our reputation. But in fact, I didn't play with the reputation. They play with the reputation, you know, by themselves, by keeping people, by exiling people to that land. And by letting the Australian government to do that crime and make this, uh, you know, uh, so it was so difficult. And but really, honestly, uh, most of people in Manus, uh, they, you know, they liked me because uh, I was not silent. You know, sometimes I introduce my words to them. That, you know, just look in this article. I write about your hospital. You know. Just look at this article. I write about the history of Manus. Just look at this. Look at this movie, you know, because I had to do it. I had to do advertisement for myself sometimes because in other side, they were not silent, you know, the government and the authorities, you know. They, they, so that's why it was not safe for me anytime they could. And, you know, during the stories about uh, Paladin, you know, there was a very, uh, like, a, uh, some of the powerful people in uh, Manus, the local people, powerful families, they were involved in this uh, corruption. And uh, it was so hard. I worked with the media and I tried to help them to understand this corruption. But my name, many times I said, please don't mention my name because that make uh, me unsafe. Anytime those families could attack me, you know. Uh, the, uh, it was so difficult, so, so difficult. And 
always, you know, I didn't feel safe in that place. But, you know, uh, I think, yeah, I'm happy that I could manage all of this. Um, now I'm in a safe place. Does this make you question your involvement with the work, the fact that it was putting Beirut in danger? When I first met Behrouz, uh, it was not very long after he started publishing using his real name. Uh, before that, he was using a pen name, and um, other times journalists were referring to him as an unnamed source. So when I met him and we started um, talking, he realized at that point, it was maybe two years um, into his incarceration, he realized that whether people know him or not, it's not going to make any difference. He's still going to be harassed. He's still going to be um, subject uh, to the same kinds of oppression. Um, the systematic torture continues regardless of whether uh, people are aware of what he's doing. And in fact, in a really perverse way, I think uh, uh, the system, especially the, uh, the exile policy and the, the culture around deterrence in Australia, exploits Behrouz's work because it sends the message that this is how we treat people who seek asylum. So Behrouz was very, very aware from, the, from when I met him that um, it, it makes no difference whether he uh, is outspoken or not. He's still a subject to the same kinds of domination and oppression. It's amazing that you say that, that, that in some ways, like the, the exploitation of his work, it's almost like free advertising for the government. Is that what you're suggesting? Where the, him writing about the awful conditions is almost what the government might want because it acts as a further deterrent? In their own twisted logic, they think that this is actually buying into their uh, propaganda, into their kind of the message they want to send to the world. Of course, the reality is very different. People who need to escape, they escape. People who need to seek uh, protection, find it wherever they can. So it doesn't, it, I mean, it doesn't work in terms of a deterrence. But in the twisted, racist, colonial logic of the, uh, of the Australian government, they think that, yeah, this is exactly what we want to send um, to the world. Yeah, let me say something about this. You know, we should think about this, that the Australian government is not going to send a message to the smugglers and to people, you know, in war zone in Middle East and other countries. It is the biggest lie in the history of Australia. And unfortunately, most of people already accepted this, you know. The reason... The government keep people in Manus Island and Nauru is because of political benefits. Mm. They send this message to Australian public, not to the smugglers, you know. And the second reason is because of uh, corruption. Mm. They spend $9 billion on this policy, you know. $9 billion. Uh, it's so really if i was an australian citizen you know i would go to front of the parliament and do hunger strike there because of this nine billion dollars you know how did you waste this money for what where is this money you know where is this money nine billion dollars you know and this money, where is this money? I know where is this money. This money is in the pocket of IHMS company and other companies in Manus Island, you know. And I am sure one day Australian people will know and will hear about this. And on that time, it will be a big shock to everyone. Nine billion dollars is a huge money, you know. It's a huge uh, thing. You know, and the, another reason, another reason is ideological reason. You know, that someone like Peter Dutton, he became the most powerful minister in the history of Australia. You know, if you put yourself in his position, you said, oh, I became the most powerful minister. Why should I let these people go? So it's good that I continue. It's good for me, you know, as a politician. And, and the politicians always, we should never forget this, just care about power, nothing else. They don't care about Australia or public, you know. They put labor in defensive position for years. And now labor is just, it's not a real opposition, you know. They just are defending in, are in defensive uh, position in other 
thing, you know, in economy, in environment, in everything, you know. So that's why they keep uh, people there and continue to this policy. It's not related to the boats. The boats, they send them back. They send the boats back to Indonesia and Sri Lanka and they have uh, agreement with those governments. So it's not about this, you know. And, uh, you know, they excite us to remote places. For years, they didn't let the journalists to have access to those places. They have deported many people from Manus Island. They didn't even, you know, omit. They deported <laughs> omit, you know. I remember in one day, they deported omit uh, another person, a comedian, Australian comedian. Then next day, they deported an advocate. You know, they, of course, you know, they don't want, and you know, if you look at all of these works that I did and others, you know, all of people who have worked in this field, you know, for years, you know, like yourself, like uh, Mark, you know, that you speak out, you share this story, you criticize the system, and you know, and other people, you know, the journalists such as, you know, Ben Doherty, others, the Helen Davidson, you know, uh, Natalie White, you know, all of these people who work in this field, you know, uh, you, you really, in fact, you expose this system. And now many people are, around the world are aware of this. And, um, you know, it's not a sending message to a smuggler. It is a big lie, you know. They just care about money they care about nine billion dollars nine billion dollars so i think people should think about this um now i think this would be a really good time to just ask you i want to get considering this is a literary festival really get in depth on the on the writing and how you guys created this book so could you just tell us what the well how did you meet Beirut? how did you guys come to this this friendship it was i heard about it before so I'm, it's a beautiful story well, I met Behrouz right at the beginning of 2016, and as I mentioned before, he just started publishing um, with his real name. And uh, Munis Mansubi, his first translator, uh, translated an article for The Guardian. I think it was his first article in, in The Guardian. And I came across this because I've been working in this field, in this area, for quite some time, since the Howard era, actually. And uh, so I'm in touch with a lot of these networks, and I was surprised when I saw this article and I read it. I thought... First of all, why don't I know about this person since I'm so well connected with all of these different campaigns and movements? And why isn't this person a central part of the discourse? Why isn't he a, a, a prominent figure, a, 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 more, a, a better recognized? And uh, why isn't he basically uh, being promoted as the, one of the main spokespeople uh, from uh, within the prison especially? So I thought, you know, I could tell that there were multi uh, layers behind, multiple layers behind his writing. I could tell there was a literary dimension, a political dimension, a philosophical dimension, and also a really keen and interesting cultural dimension as well. So I thought I have to get in touch with this person, and let them know that uh, what an impact his work has had on me. And uh, we started a slow relationship, uh, and here we are. What was it like for you, Berus, with Ahmed? Sometimes I say that if I knew English as much as I know Farsi and Kurdish, you know, uh, you know, the, it was different, you know. And uh, but uh, you know, actually, uh, it was so important for me to publish my works, and you know, I did this with Munis, with many other, then with Omid. I think Omid uh, was the right person because he, you know, first because of the friendship, we shared our ideas, political ideas and philosophical ideas, and we get to know each other well. And I think that is very important in translation. Another thing uh, is that he was, you know, familiar with this uh, field and he worked on this field for years so he knew uh, how this system works and you know he was a expert person 
in this field and also for his background you know he was a, a, a part of the uh, Baha'i minority which is a group of people in Iran a minority so it was important because you know I am minority in everything you know uh, and it was important and also he is with uh, quite a background indigenous culture so uh, that's why I think he was the right person you know and he was a well-educated person and that's why I think we were work together in the right way and we could you know share ideas uh, and you know understand each other and now you know still we work together and you know I really don't call Omid as a translator. Always I call him as a colleague, you know, uh, first as a friend, second as a colleague, because we uh, publish some articles in academic journals too, and still we work together in this field. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I'm happy. And I think people forget about Omid always say that, oh, Beirut did this, did, but, you know, in fact, you know, Omid, uh, you know, if Omid was not exist, you know, I think we couldn't be here now, or it took a long time. Yeah, perhaps now I have my book in Farsi, but still didn't, you know, publish it. So... I think we're a really strong philosophical team. So, um, I think... Your vision, your activism, and your passion has made a massive impact on me. I think uh, in many ways I've benefited more from this uh, in interaction than, than you have. What's, what's really important is that in this relationship there's no victim-saviour binary, no supporter-receiver, no benefactor-beneficiary. You know, there's a, it completely disrupts all of those kinds of oppositions that uh, are tied up with a lot of the refugee activism. This is a completely different situation, and um, it opens up possibilities for what kind of um, activism can, um, or what shape activism can take in the future. How how is it different? Not, I'm not suggesting that you are trying to be his savior, but how have you made that relationship not that that kind of and how that can people can fall into that kind of relationship. Well, I think uh, a number of things. First of all, that everything that I've done in terms of um, uh, translation, in terms of connecting Behrus with people, in terms of uh, representing Behrus in different spaces, I've always done after a lot of consultation and uh, a lot of sharing with him initially. So we, we talk a lot about how we present his work, uh, what kind of terminology we use, who we end up um, uh, centering in terms of uh, our critiques, uh, what should be mentioned in different spaces. So this kind of like strategy, a long-term strategy, comes from a lot of discussion, comes out of a lot of research and a lot of um, uh, deep uh, analysis. So the other thing is that I really appreciate and I investigate Behruz's um, Kurdish heritage, his um, uh, political training, uh, his uh, his experiences before he left Iran. So you know, even his his um, his family networks and you know the his his interest in literature. So Behruz was even telling me, Omid, you should be reading Kafka. You should be reading Beckett. You should be reading these Kurdish authors while I was translating. So in many ways, Behruz was also a mentor for me while I was working with him. And that must have been really fun for you, Behruz, because as a writer myself, you kind of get stuck in your own head when you're doing your own work and you can you can spend hours at a computer by yourself but to be able to like bounce your ideas of someone with a like mind and and you know i'm going to say equally as intelligent <laughs> that way i don't insult either of you <laughs> but to be able to bounce those ideas off each other must have made it like a really enjoyable experience as well i imagine <laughs> میگه که خیلی حتما لذت بردی از این ارتباط با امید که تونستی فرصت پیش اومد که تونستی ایدهات با مثلا علاقت با 
برنامه ها تا با یکی صحبت بکنی باشون در ارتباط بذاری So now I'm not only behind the technology. You know, yesterday I went outside with a friend and, you know, she was going to pay for park. She parked her car and she wanted to pay. And said, what is this? She said, we do it this. And how, how do you do this? She said, yeah, when you do this, you know, uh, stop the car here. You should, uh, you know, enter this code and, And they said, how do they know that your car is here? And she said, uh, oh, they check it on the street. You know, I'm not only behind the technology. Actually, I'm behind many things, you know. And one of the things is that I, it was important for me to keep, uh, you know, uh, the, in touch with people, you know, such as Omid. And it's not only Omid, you know, some... You know, always a small team of uh, people like, you know, uh, Omid, Hoda Afshar, you know, Janet, uh, Galbraith, uh, you know, uh, even my friend in Iran, Najmuddin, Vaisi, you know, some people always, I share my ideas with them and, you know, just to understand this system. And I think this kind of conversation and dialogues are very important with Arnold Zabel, Uh, you know, it's very important because for me that I didn't have time and also, you know, I didn't have access to book, you know, it's, it was so hard. It was so hard. So this kind of relationship, relation and, you know, conversation and dialogue was very useful for me and very important. So... Yeah, so I'm just wanting about the first thing that you said about the, you know, victim, you know. If you look at all of my works, I never try to victimize people, you know, in Manus. And not, because already we are victim under this policy, but we should don't reduce people to, you know, and, you know, keep, take their identity, their dignity. And for that, if you look at my works, the refugees in these wars are not angel, you know. And always I challenge the perspective of the human rights defenders and the humanitarian organizations that they have a romantic perspective towards the refugees. And, you know, they say that, oh, you know, they introduce them as an angel. We are not angel, you know. In the book, you can see that, you know, there are some bad characters, you know, and good characters. You know, they, like us, no one is perfect. So in the book, in the movie, everywhere, you can see that these people, these refugees are around me. They, you know, they can be good and they can be bad, like me and like you and like anyone in this world. And, you know, they are not terrorists. They are not rapists. They are not criminals. They are not angel. They are people, same as, you know. So that's why, and you know, when you just introduce people and, you know, and say they are victim, uh, just you get sympathy and that doesn't work, you know. And there is like a balance of power that the white people or people of Australia or other countries that, uh, you know, they feel power in front of these people in Manus and Naro, you know, when you want to get sympathy, you know. Sympathy doesn't work. You cannot uh, create change, you know. The important thing is that people recognize and then... Uh, understand it, you know, understand that you cannot torture people, you know, you cannot justify this. And these people have rights and they should be free, you know, and you respect their rights. Just that, you know, I, I never try to show people as a victim. And I think the be one of the biggest, biggest example is that article that I wrote about Mehdi Sawari. Mehdi Sawari was a short man with one 
meter and 10 centimeter a short man he was in manus now i wrote an, an article about him and i described him as a strong man uh, an artist and yeah you know i keep his dignity in this article. I didn't try to say, oh, this man is short man, he has problem, you know, you should help him. You, you know, I didn't describe him like this, in this way. I describe him as a strong man, as a man who passed an ocean, as a man who is a progressive, with progressive ideas. That's why he left a religious dictatorship system in Iran, you know? A modern person, a person who has some idea and has many things to contribute uh, to the community, you know. So all of these works are like this. I wrote them in this way. I never try to get sympathy from people because that doesn't make change, you know. For decades, people are doing this, but still, you know, they treating refugees in this way and others. What's important for me, and I think one of uh, Bejruz's greatest achievements in all of his writing and all of his, uh, his um, uh, artistic production is that he's been able to show the world that the people on Manus Island, Nauru, in all forms of detention in Australia are human, they're individuals, they have names, they're resistors, they're intellectuals, they're creatives, and they have something really unique to contribute to the world um, just because of the fact that they exist and they're individuals. So I think, especially the book, shows that uh, really special quality about the human beings. It gives them a face. It removes them from just being a number. And I think that shines through in the book, definitely shined through when I read it. Um, on that note of the kind of saviour in this, this kind of bipolar idea of refugees as either being these people we have to be scared of, these people we have to put on pedestals. Are you scared yourself, Berus, of being idolised too greatly? and being put up as this perfect figure who's just destined to fall? Uh, I am actually not happy with uh, like a kind of celebrity culture. You know, there is this culture, and I think it is the... Uh, deeply ingrained um, as a cultural phenomenon worldwide. So it's hard. You know, you should struggle against this and, uh, you know, or challenge this culture. And, uh, you know, I am like others, you know, and, you know, anything that we achieve, really, anything that we achieve is because of our resistance. You know, because of, uh, you know, everyone in Manus and Naro, you know, and many people who share their stories and, you know, for our resistance, you know, we did hunger strike, we did um, protest, we resisted front of this system. And, you know, uh, that's why, you know, this works. Uh, and some people say that, oh, you know, in Canada, we had an event, people say that we, uh, you know, congratulations, you closed Manus. I said, I didn't close Manus, you know. I didn't close Manus. Uh, you know, <laughs> it is all our resistance. And uh, I really believe in that. And that's why. But, uh, you know, for me, if I have a platform, I know myself. I use it for, you know, supporting the minorities in the society. And I think that is important. But, uh, of course, you know, I, no one is perfect in this world. And, you know, just, uh, but, you know, I think sometimes I think about it, it's uh, really, this story is very remarkable. We should accept that, you know, amaze myself. When I look at it, you know, a long journey and a long struggle. Yeah, honestly, I think it is remarkable. And, you know, sometimes actually this story, I mean, the whole story challenge 
the system and channel many things. Just we should think about it. You know, always I say that just imagine a big island, which is Australia, and a very tiny island in the middle of a, the biggest ocean in the world. You know, so they exile this man to that remote prison, that remote island, and put them through a, you know, a systematic torture and uh, torture them to destroy them. But after six years, you know, you can see that how that tiny uh, island challenged the biggest, the big island. And now, if you look at this way, you know, the Australian government, you know, for years and years, they named us as a terrorist, you know, criminals, rapists, you know, very negative. They put us along the negative concepts. But now, after six, you can see that the only criminal in this uh, story is Australian government. The, the Australian government is terrible. It happened, you know, he called us illiterate people. And now I think I, ha I am in this position to strongly and, you know, uh, say that, you know, take on the Twitter and say, Peter Dutton, you are illiterate. And I think people accept me, you know, because I have to do you know? And he didn't finish his education in the university, <laughs> you know? Really? You know, I mean, you know, after six years, if you look at this story, the whole story, you know, many refugees already showed that they are, you know, really they are able to be useful for the society and they are with the new ideas with progressive ideas you know and is the actually challenge the picture that created by the australian government you know we and the, I think, sorry i talk a lot just i should mention this in two years ago during siege you know, at that time when they we were refu we refused to go to other places. You know, uh, you know, on that time, uh, we for the first time we took control on the prison, and we established a progressive democratic system in the camp for twenty three days. And we were completely peaceful, very peaceful and democratic. But in other side, the Australian government was aggressive and they produced violence and they beat people. And, you know, just put these two pictures in front of each other, you know. And that's why I say that we educated Australia. We educated Australia. And, uh, you know, I think just people just should do research and read about the refugees, individual people in Manus. You know, there are many musicians, many peaceful people, many, you know, beautiful people in that island, you know. So the whole picture, I think we challenge this. Yeah. And, you know, I proud of this. And not because of me, I am only one person, you know, all of the men in Manuslana and, you know, in Nauru, you know, our resistance, we were uh, peaceful and democratic in front of this system. I would love to ask so many more questions, Beirut, but we are running very out of time. And I've also, I've, we were talking so much before, we haven't had a chance to explore but um, we've got five minutes left, so I thought I'd um, uh, just ask you one more, one or two more questions. I also just want to say we didn't get into this as much as I would have liked to, but Ahmed's not actually even trained as a translator. You kind of fell into this, which makes it even more amazing what you did, and I just want to commend you in front of these guys for what a wonderful job you did, so thank you. Um, Beirut, uh, there's a couple of things I just wanted to say. It's, it's amazing to me that in spite of all this, this horror, you've become an Australian icon and you've done it through literature, which is uh, one of the most powerful things I think, well, I can think of because I'm a writer. <laughs> but um, 
uh, on top of that, you've managed to make it out, and I wanted to ask you a few questions. Um, what were you escaping from? What What is the current situation in Papua New Guinea for the um, the men that are still left there? Uh, and also, it's a double question because uh, I'm just worried that I might have to cut this off um, at the end of your, your response, but were you aware of the kind of response that happened in Australia when you made it out? It was, for us, it was so surprising. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen Christina's Keneally's lovely tweet. That was very nice of her. And Peter Dutton's warm welcome to say that you, you'll never be allowed in Australia. But I mean, from the people, uh, I can speak for myself saying, I, it brought me to tears to hear that you were out. And I was, everyone I spoke to for the past week has been coming up to me saying, isn't it just amazing that he got out? How did he do it? So if you can talk about what you're escaping from, how you got out there, give us the real details in the next five minutes. <laughs> Were you involved, Ahmed? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you uh, really, you know, let me tell you something about the current situation in Manu, in Port Mosby. So no one exists in, you know, remain in Manus. They transfer everyone to Port Mosby. Right now, 240 people or 250 people remain in Port Mosby. But unfortunately, about 42 people are in Bomana prison, which is, you know, they are really living in a very harsh condition. Uh, and But uh, I think uh, 100 people will go to America in six months or seven months. You know, finally they will go because... I think 60 people already accepted by America and 40 people are waiting and we expect that most of them accept. Just, uh, you know, right now, people there are facing two things. First is that it's not safe. It's very unsafe place for people. And another thing, people are living in poverty because it's city and it's expensive. So people don't have job, you know, how they survive. And that's why, you know, people locked up in their rooms in Port Mosby. And I don't know how we can help them, but hopefully those 100 people go to America and others, hopefully, if they don't change the law, Medivac, hopefully most of them go to Australia. And uh, regarding, uh, you know, the reaction, I think I didn't have this opportunity to say thank you to everyone. Really, you know, I always say this, that, you know, we couldn't survive without the support uh, and without Australian people. We should accept and acknowledge that the big part of the Australian society have supported us. And many people, you know, such as you and others, you know, were on the ground, you know, and they are not with the big positions, you know, they are not, because people just look at people who have position in, you know, humanitarian, you know, uh, organization. But in fact, many people, you know, work on the ground and people never hear about them, but they are important people. They have supported the refugees and, you know, uh, the men in Manus. And definitely, we couldn't survive without your support. And, you know, it's really, I should appreciate everyone. Uh, although I think you stand up for humanity, not because of us, because of your people because of the young generation and uh, because, you know, this exile policy negatively impact on Australia. And now someone like uh, Peter Dutton who practiced dictatorship in Manus Island and Nauru for years now is running Australia as a campus state. You know, it is a big danger for the power, you know, political culture in Australia is so, so dangerous. And hopefully that people of Australia recognize this and struggle against this. It's uh, this kind of fascism and dictatorship culture and system. 
But regarding the Labour Party, I think they did that uh, statement because of lack of understanding, you know. They didn't know me well. They just they thought that they are able to politicize this and just get some credit. But, you know, I have some principles and my strong principle is that never forget, uh, you know, <laughs> the truth. And I always try to, even if I, you know, many times I challenge something that actually was bad for me, you know, and may, you know, many people become my enemy. But for me, what is important is that we don't let the politicians to uh, get credit of this tragedy, you know, and even me and anyone, you know, no one has this right to reduce this tragedy and get benefit of it and, you know, politicize it or, you know, reduce this tragedy. So for me, it was important. And I think they were deserved that tweets that I did. I want everyone to give Beris a huge cheer. If you'd like to hear more from Wollongong Writers Festival, because trust me, there's some really amazing sessions yet to drop, or you just want to hear more from regional writing festivals, then head on over to our website, www.rightsforwomen.com forward slash rights for festivals. That's where you'll find all the episodes of the Rights for Festivals podcast, or you can go and subscribe wherever you get your pods, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all those good places. Please do give us a rating and review because then we can spread the goodness and other people can find us too. Thank you so much for listening to the Rights for Festivals podcast and supporting regional writing festivals. This podcast episode was produced, recorded and edited by Kel Butler from Listen Up Podcasting. 